Good morning. Today's scripture is from Luke 1, 67 through 79, and is Zechariah's prophecy. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And good morning to everybody. Y'all doing all right this morning? Well, I'll take that as a no. All right. Well, let's, let's try to do something about that uh, by, by hearing God's word. Maybe that'll cheer us up. Um, bear with me today. I'm fighting a little bit of a cold, so if my voice sounds funky and goes in and out, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm trying. I'm doing everything I can. But uh, we're so glad you're here with us, especially in these early days of Greater Hope Church. Again, I'm Stan McMahon, the pastor here. And uh, over the next several weeks, uh, as we lead up to Christmas, we're going to be looking at a series called Joy to the World. Uh, we're looking at the first two chapters of Luke, which is one of the books in the New Testament that tells the story of Jesus' life. And uh, Luke, in particular, uh, pays a lot of attention to the birth of Jesus. He thinks it's really, really important, and he spends a lot of time on it. And he gives us these four what we call songs of Christmas, or songs of the nativity, of Jesus' birth. And they're, they're spoken or, or sang or said by, by four uh, different characters who were eyewitnesses to those events. And what they really get at, is like we saw last week with Mary's song, they get beyond just what happened, the mechanics of Jesus' birth, and they get into why it happened, the meaning of his birth. So these are a great, pl- a great place for us to turn if we're going to think, you know, why was Jesus born? What does that mean for us? Uh, this morning we had a, a song that was just read to us from Zechariah. You may not know who Zechariah is, but he was uh, the father of John the Baptist, uh, he was a rather elderly priest. Uh, he and his wife had never been able to have children. And in Luke chapter 1, it tells us that God came to them very much like he had come to Mary and said, you're going to have a child. Uh, you're going to conceive even though you're way past childbearing years. And this child is going to be special. He's going to be a prophet who will be sent before Jesus. He's going to go ahead of Jesus to prepare the nation for the mission that God gave uh, his son, Jesus Christ, in the world. And so Zechariah here is, this is just after his son, John the Baptist, is born, where he just, his heart just explodes like Mary's last week. And it just overflows with what he has learned over the, the nine months of the pregnancy, which, by the way, uh, during those nine months, Zechariah was unable to speak. 
Because when the angel came to him and said, you're going to have a child, he said, no way. (laughs) There's no way that can happen. I'm too old. How in the world could that happen? And so God said, well, for nine months, you're going to have nine months to be quiet and think about it. (laughs) Uh, And then when it happens, you're going to be able to speak again. And here he is. These are his first words. As out of his heart comes this river of what Christmas means, of what the birth, not only of his son, but the birth of Jesus means. Now, as a priest, Zechariah was very, very well versed in what we call the Old Testament. Back then, it was just simply the Bible. It was all they had of the Bible. And, and so he knew this idea that God had promised he was going to come visit his people. All throughout the Old Testament, God says, I'm coming on a very special visit that's going to turn the world upside down. And you'll notice right there in the very first verse of his song in verse 68, he describes the birth of Jesus as that visit. This is the visit of God. So we want to think about that theme this morning. Now, during the holiday season, visits are very common, aren't they? You know, the song, I'll be home for Christmas. I'm coming for a visit. Uh, visits during Christmas can be good and they can also be bad. Amen? Uh, have you ever seen the movie Christmas Vacation? <laughs> uh, whenever, uh, you know, Chevy Chase, I don't forget what his character's name is, Griswold, right? Uh, his, his cousin comes over for a visit, parks the RV in the, in the yard begins to pump the sewage from his RV into his, you know, drains there outside of his house. It overflows. Really bad Christmas visit. But Christmas visits can also be very, very good. You know, we can have a lot of time with family and friends. Uh, this is really getting us to ask this question. Zachariah is helping us to see, what if God visited? What if God showed up at your home in your life? What, what if God showed up in our church? What if God showed up in our city? What if God appeared Uh, in a way that was just unmistakable. Not necessarily visibly appeared, but what if God showed up? What would we do about it? What would God do about us? What would he say to us? How would he direct us? And in fact, what this is saying is that God did in fact show up. At the very first Christmas, God's visit to us is a visit really that has never ended. God's presence still remains with us, and God is working through what Jesus came into this world in that first visit to accomplish. So as we look at Zechariah's song, we're going to see three things. You'll see him outlined there in your worship folder. Zechariah is going to be our teacher this morning, and he says three things about God when he comes to visit. Uh, first of all, what is God's visit? He tells us what that is. Second, he tells us why we need God to visit. And the third thing he says is how God's visit works. How does it work itself out in our lives? So first, what is the visit of God? Well, he says there, blessed be the Lord God of Israel reminding us that he's, in his mind, he's thinking of all that God had done previously in the past to the nation of Israel, because now he has visited and redeemed his people. This idea, like we said a minute ago, of visitation is one that's all throughout the Old Testament. And every time in the Old Testament, you know, literally hundreds of times this word visit is used in the Old Testament. Every time, it's God showing up in a very obvious way to deal personally with his people. It's God saying, hey, I'm here and I'm here to do business with you. Personal business. It may be the business of judgment where I'm saying you're, you're wrong and I'm, I'm bringing my law, I'm bringing my justice against you. Or it may be, as we see here, a visit of salvation, a visit of redemption where God is saying, hey, I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to show you the way. Either way, when God visits, it's serious business. It's God relating to us one-on-one. In the Exodus story, when Moses was sent to Rescue the people of Israel, it uses that word. God visited his people. Uh, When women who were barren, who were a particular part of God's plan 
to save the world, had a child, it said God visited that lady. Do you see it can be in judgment, it can be in redemption, but it means serious business. All throughout, as Christians, we believe all throughout the world, all throughout history, God, in fact, has been present all the time. God is always present, everywhere. God always has all the power over all things. But you see, most of the time, the power of God and the presence of God is hidden behind the scenes, isn't it? We can't see God. We, we can't uh, sense him with our five senses. He's, he's hidden behind the scenes working through creation and various other second causes and things like, you know, other events and other people. But the visit of God is when God shoots through that, that gap and he comes in with what the Bible might call a miracle. And he shows himself to the forefront and says, I am here and I am intervening into the world. I'm intervening into your life to rescue people. Now, I think there's something here for us today because we struggle, don't we, with belief. We struggle with faith today. Many people struggle to believe uh, the claims of Christianity or really any other religion. And one of the reasons for that is because there's so many points of view out there and we're aware of them all today. Because anyone can post anything, anytime, whatever their point of view is on anything. And so we get kind of lost in this sea. Who is right? Who is wrong? How do I know who's right? How do I know who's wrong? And that's true in religion. It's true in spiritual things as well. There's so many, there's literally probably millions of perspectives on who God is and what he's doing in this world. How you can relate to him rightly. And I think here there's something helpful for us in, in that situation, in that climate. Because what Zechariah is saying and what the claim of the Bible is about the birth of Jesus is that God has cut through all that if this claim is true. God has said, yes, it's true. This world is filled with all different perspectives and points of view. And yes, it is nearly impossible for you to sift through it like a gold miner <laughs> trying to figure out which, one, which points of view are right and which ones are wrong and which religion should I follow and which denomination and so on and so forth. But God is saying, nevertheless, through it all, I myself have appeared and I've opened myself up for questioning. I've directly intervened into the world. I've shown myself as the Lord of history. And anybody, anywhere in the world can come to me, that is, can come to Jesus as he's shown to us here in these accounts like in the Gospel of Luke. And they can get their questions answered and they can have their doubts They can have their doubts relieved over time as they come to Jesus and begin to look at him. God has entered. One of my favorite writers says this. It's like the birth of Jesus is like that moment at the end of the play when the author walks on the stage. And he gives the bow. (laughs) And he says the play is over. And he opens himself up for applause and comments and questions. I love that image of the birth of Jesus because it's like all of us are, you know, in the crowd looking at life, looking at the world and history unfold. And all of us are having a conversation among ourselves. The play means this. No, the play means that. No, it really, he meant this. He meant that. Well, what about the author is now here? And you and I can come to him. And we, he, had, he has an open door policy where you and I can come and say, God, you show me. You open up my eyes to see. I think that helps us. Maybe you're here today, and that's where you're at. You're struggling to believe. I very much understand that position. In fact, most of us at some point on some level have been at that place. Well, here Zechariah is saying the door has been opened. Uh, In fact, on the back of your, where we have the scripture printed on the back of that, there's a couple of prayers that I give you. One of them is a prayer of belief. That's for folks who want to trust in Jesus. 
The second prayer there is a prayer for those simply seeking the truth. And that prayer is great for someone who's in the category that I'm describing. Because essentially it's saying, Jesus, if you really are the author who really has stepped onto the stage when you were born 2,000 years ago, if you really want to be known personally and want me to ask questions and you want to show yourself to me, please do it. I would encourage you, if that's where you are, press in and pray that. It's an amazing thing. Zechariah is saying the Lord God has visited his people. That it's, it's as if all the history of the Old Testament, everything that God had ever done and said and promised was finally coming to a point, was coming to a head when Jesus was born. And now you and I get that open door to come to God and to ask him questions. Now, now what is it that Jesus came to do? You know, we're, we're asking what is the visit of God? Not only is it God intervening, making himself fully known and apparent, but it's God coming to do something for us. You'll notice that there in verse 69 and, and the verses following. It says that in Jesus' birth, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us from the house of David. Now you say, that doesn't help me at all. What is a horn of salvation that has been raised up in the house of David? Again, Old Testament language. This guy's a priest. You know, he's steeped in the Bible, and so he, you, know, you cut him and he bleeds Bible. And here he is saying, horn of salvation. What does that mean? A horn is the symbol of power. It's the symbol of might, of kingship, all throughout the Old Testament. It's, it, it refers to the horns of a cow. Anybody ever, you know, been in a pasture with a bull charging you with his horns? Hopefully you haven't been there. Is that scary? Absolutely. Why is that scary? A lot of force, more power than you have is coming towards you. And so in the Old Testament, they would use the horn as a way to talk about strength and might of a king. And here it says, this is an amazing thing, I want you to notice it. It's saying in the birth of Jesus, God is raising up a horn, a great power, a great king, but that horn is a horn of salvation. That horn is a horn of rescue. You see what he's saying? He's saying that God, when he was born as a baby in the person of Jesus Christ, came as this very unique king. No, no other king has ever been like him because he's using all of his power not for his own good, but he's coming to use all of his power for our good. That's what horn of salvation means. It's a power that stands ready to help. It's a power that's being put to use completely and totally to save his people. And that's what all throughout the Old Testament everybody anticipated. That's why, that's why the writer goes on to say it's in the house of David. He was one of those kings that even though he was an imperfect man, he still lived and, and used his power in a lot of ways to help God's people. Everybody in here, even you kids will know the story of David and Goliath, right? Where David, you know, goes out to face the enemy that nobody else is willing to face. Nobody else could possibly take down this giant. And yet David goes out in between the nation that's about to get creamed and Goliath. He takes Goliath down so that in David's victory, the whole nation could go free. Maybe you've never thought about that as the meaning of the story. You know, we often think, you know, go slay your giant. That's the way we talk about the story of David and Goliath. What are the giants in your life? Go be David. Actually, it's telling us, no, you should want, you should expect a king that God's going to send who is going to be a horn, a power, but he's going to use that power for you. He's going to put himself in between you and your enemies, and he's going to slay that enemy so that all of God's people, everybody who believes, 
could be set free in his victory. That's what Zechariah is saying. The birth of Jesus Christ is the raising up of a horn of salvation. It's a king like David, but far greater than David. Because Jesus, he didn't face Goliath, did he? Jesus faced the giant of my sin and your sin. The giant of our rebellion against God. The giant of death itself. The giant of God's judgment. And Jesus went toe-to-toe and he won the victory so that every single person who believes could be rescued. That's what a horn of salvation is. It's power being exercised for the good of his people. And so every time, you know, this is helping us, I think, understand even how to read the Bible in a way, isn't it? You know, when you go to the Bible, you know, many of you may go to the Bible and you get really mystified by what it says. And that's very understandable because there's so much in there and it's in all, written in all different times and places and it's, it can be very confusing. But what if, like Zechariah, you go to the stories and you say, what does this tell me about Jesus? What does this tell me about the kind of king, the kind of savior, the kind of Lord that I need? And how does Jesus fit that bill? That's a way to cut through a lot of the mystifying stuff that you see in the scripture. Because as my kid's storybook Bible says, every story whispers his name. His name is on every page. Because in the Old Testament, it was promise, promise, promise. I'm sending my king. I'm sending my king. I'm coming for a visit. And in the New Testament, it's I have visited. Here I am. Here I've come to do what I've promised that I would do. I've I've come to lay my life down in order to save my people. It also helps us understand what we really need from God. That question that we asked at the beginning, what if God visited us? What if he visited you? What if he visited our church? What would we ask You know, I think oftentimes, if you're like me, you you go straight to circumstantial things. Oh, if God were here, I would ask him to relieve my financial situation. Oh, if God were here, I would just pray for a better job. If God were here, I would pray that my children would actually behave. (laughs) If God were here, I I would plead with him to give me a, a better house, a better circumstance. You see how we often go to that? And this is saying, look... God has come into the world for far greater purposes than that. It's not that God doesn't care about those things. Because he does. Because he cares about you. It's that God cares about you. (laughs) He cares about you at the deepest level. He cares about you in your very heart of hearts. And so it says that God raised up a horn of salvation to save us from our enemies. And to show the mercy in verse 72. Promise to our fathers. To make the covenant, the relationship between God and us at peace. And so the passage in the Old Testament prophet where it says, Unto us a child is born. Unto us, for us, a horn of salvation has been raised up. It says that he'll be called a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. And what it's saying is that's what we really need from God. Those things. And Jesus has come to visit us to be those things for us. Even if you had all the financial relief, but you didn't have Jesus, you have nothing. But if you never got the financial relief and you got Jesus, you would have something that would take you on into eternity. You would have something that would take you beyond the failure of all financial markets. That would take you beyond your own death. And the Bible says that's the visit of God. I'm here. And I'm here to rescue you and save you. Now, why exactly do we need that? That's the second thing. And Zechariah helps us understand exactly why. Notice he had already said in verse 71, 
He came to save us from our enemies. But the question is raised, who's our enemy? You know, who is Jesus coming to save us from? And I think it's really interesting, the, the enemy that Zechariah uh, indicates, the enemy that he tells us that Jesus came to defeat. He, he says there in verse 74 that we would be delivered from the hand of our enemies so that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's why Jesus came. Do you realize that? Jesus came into the world not so that you and I might have a wonderful story to tell each holiday and a reason to gather with our family. Jesus came not so that you and I might have comfort in life and perfect peace in our heart all the time no matter what. Jesus came for a deeper reason. He came so that you and I might be set free to serve God. That's what you find everywhere in the Bible. God visits the nation of Israel. He delivers them from slavery. And what does he do next? He says, I'm, I'm delivering you so that you will go and serve me with your whole heart. So that you will go worship me in the desert. And then eventually that you will be planted in the, in the promised land to become my people who are a light to the nations, serving me with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And so when Jesus came, he came to restore us to service. Sometimes as Christians, we don't see that. You know, those of you who are Christians, do you realize you are saved for a reason? You're saved for a purpose. That God has a mission for your life. God has a, an assignment. He's got chores for you. And those chores involve not just self-interest, not just things that make you feel good and that feed yourself, but those are things that have to do with his glory. And the mission that he has are things that have to do with the good of others, the people around you and their needs and ways that God wants you to express his everlasting love to them by loving them. Do you realize that you are saved to serve? It's an amazing thing. And so when Jesus came in this world, he's always talking about the issue of loyalty and disloyalty. We were made to serve God with all of our hearts, and yet we don't. And the reason why we don't is because we're loyal to another besides to God. And so Jesus, I, I love some of the things he says. He tells people, you can't serve two masters. You can't be loyal to both. You can either serve God or something else, but you can't serve God and something else. And then Jesus gets right to the heart of it when he says, anybody who commits sin, that is anybody who disobeys God, the truth of the matter, whether we like it or not, when I sin, he says it's because I'm a slave to sin. Because I've chosen to serve myself or some other created thing rather than God. I love when he asks questions. Sometimes Jesus will say, what are you looking for? It's a beautiful question. What are you looking for? Another question, what can I do for you? <laughs> he asks some people. What is he trying to do? He's trying to get out of our hearts where our loyalty really lies because he came in order to win our loyalty back fully and completely to his heavenly father. Just as, as his loyalty is fully and completely belonging to his heavenly father. Jesus came into the world. Sometimes we think he came as a salesman, a salesman, where, where basically he wants to make a transaction with us. When a salesman comes to your house, if they still do that anymore, do they still knock on doors? I don't know. When they, come, when they used to come to your house to sell you the, you know, the encyclopedias or whatever they sold, they were trying to get a transaction. You give me money and I'll give you my product and then I'm gone. You'll never hear from me again, Right? And sometimes we think of that with Jesus. He came to make a transaction. I do this thing called faith. That's my payment. And then he gives me this sort of, 
this get out of hell free. You know, he gives me this, this assurance that I'm, everything with me and God is okay, but I never have to really deal with or see Jesus again. A better way to think about Jesus coming based on what Zechariah is saying is he came like a recruiter. <laughs> An army recruiter, a military recruiter, a recruiter for college football, which is one of my favorite joys, right? When those recruiters come to your house, they knock on the door. They're not just asking for a transaction, are they? What are they asking for? Just commit your whole self to me. (laughs) Just follow me, and then for the next years, maybe for the rest of your life, if it's the military, I want you to commit to me, and I want you to be all in. I want you. I don't just want your stuff. I I don't just want one or two areas of your life. I want you. I want you on the team. And when Jesus came into this world, he's always saying that. Come to me, follow me, give me your heart. Where a man's treasure is, that's where his heart is. And let your heart be with me because it will never let you down and I will never disappoint you. Jesus is like a recruiter, isn't he? Coming into the world, helping us learn how to serve God. I love the picture that Zechariah gives of serving God. And it helps clear up some of the ways that we get it wrong. He says there in verse 74 and 75, Uh, Jesus came so that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. You see there? He says, first, we ought to serve God freely, without fear, from the heart. Not because we're afraid of what might happen if we don't. Not because uh, you're not holding back because we're afraid of what might happen if we do. But completely without fear, giving ourselves to God. And then faithfully in holiness and righteousness before him. Holiness and righteousness are are the the words used to describe God himself. It's like Zechariah saying, what you and I were made for is for our hearts to harmonize like the strings on a guitar, to harmonize with God's own life. So that when the string of my life is plucked and the string of God's heart is plucked, it's one sound. That my life thirsts for the holiness and righteousness of God. Just the way God thirsts for it. I love what he loves. I hate what he hates. I'm serving him. Notice what it says, before him. And so often what we think is serving God is what other people think about me. Do other people believe that I'm faithful or that I'm rightly religious or that I'm doing everything right and that I'm with God? That's not the point. It's before God, before the Lord. What really matters is not whether I think I'm serving God or whether you think you're serving God, but whether God thinks you're serving God. And the person whose life harmonizes with God's life as it was designed to do is the person who loves God and goes all after him, wanting to be like God, like a child wanting to be like his father. Freely from the heart, just because it gives God joy for me to do it. Because I love him that much. And then it says, all my days. Before him, all our days. In other words, serving God is not just about what we do on Sunday morning. It's not just about what we do for you know, our spiritual time or our Bible time every day. It's about every area of our lives. When we go to work, when we're raising our children, when, when we're loving and dealing with our spouses, even when we're dealing with the very hard, bitter things of life, in that moment there is something that Jesus is demanding of me. He's asking for my heart. You see, oftentimes we think the person that serves God, some of you may be in here, you're thinking, I don't know if I want to be all in serving God. I don't know if, if I want Jesus to recruit me. Because if he did, I might become like some of those people that I think are, are the servers of, of God. And on one hand, you've got people who just seek themselves. You know, churches that are all about money. 
uh, people uh, that are really all about what God can do for them and how he can enhance their life and make, give them a better reputation and better circumstances. Jesus is saying that's not serving God. That's really just seeking self and letting God kind of help you along the way. Or, or it may be the other side, that the self-righteous person, the person that's holier than thou, that, that says they serve God, but really it's just a reason for them to look down their nose at other people and to feel better about themselves. Zechariah is saying Jesus came to help us serve God in a, a way far better than either of those ways. Those ways are not serving God, even if we may think they are. The way to serve God is a heart set free. A heart that loves God deeply. That serves him fully like a father in every part of life. That's why we need the visit of God. Because only by God's visit can that work. And so the final thing is how does it work? How does God's visit in Jesus Christ actually do that? How does it take away my disloyalty? And how does it make me a person that freely from the heart loves and serves God? Well, Zechariah tells us. Very convenient there in verse 76 and following. At this point... Zechariah is actually starting to address his own son, who I, I imagine when he's saying this, his son's in his arms, his little baby. John the Baptist is in his arms. And he looks down at his son and he says, You, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. He, his son had a very special assignment to go ahead of Jesus and to show the world what Jesus was about. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge, to explain the saving work, the rescuing work to his people. And so right here he begins to describe how Jesus rescues. His son, John the Baptist, would make that the mission of his life to explain how exactly the visit of God works in our lives. Well, here it is. He, he basically boils it down to two things. He says, Jesus comes into this world to cleanse us or give us a bath. And he comes into this world to give us a light. Those are two things that he says. First one, he he cleanses us or gives us a bath. It says in verse 77, uh, the knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of sins. That's what it means by cleansing or giving you a bath. In the forgiveness of our sins, Jesus came into this world to release us from the, the debt that we owed to God. To cleanse us. Now, why do we need to be cleansed? Well, all of y'all who grew up and your mama told you when you came inside from playing outside and you were too dirty to go to the table, what'd you tell you? You need to go wash up, right? You need to go either take a bath, wash your hands, wash your face, wash your feet, maybe a combination of all of those. But before you get to come to this table and eat my food with me and my family, you got to be clean. There's something on you that contaminates you so that access to me is denied, right? So everybody who has a mama like that knows exactly the way God is in this way. Because <laughs> God's the same way. The reason why we need our sins forgiven is because the contamination of our disloyalty, the dirt that our disloyalty puts on us, bars us from the family table of God. It bars us from having access to his presence. And Jesus came in order to give us access, and so he died on the cross. And on the cross, what was happening is is Jesus was taking the punishment that you and I deserved. It was being put on him. So that our punishment would no longer be required. So that we could then go free. So that our sins, if you will, would be washed away, as we say, in his blood. That may sound weird to you. 
to be washed in the blood. But that's what it means. It means that Jesus' death in our place, his blood being spilt, was so that my sins would be freed from me, washed off me, released, so that I might be able to come freely to God, so that I might get access to him. That's one of the ways that God turns us from disloyal to loyal, is he releases you from your guilt and your sin. He makes it to where you don't feel like God, you could never come to God because you're not good enough. He releases you from that feeling that, well, I'm too good for God. I don't need God. Because you see, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is forever and forever the proof that every single one of us needs God. 100% completely, fully, laying down his life in our place, drawing us to him. Jesus gives us a bath. But not only that, he, he came into this world to give us a light as well. It says there in verse 79, to give light, not only to forgive sins, but to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, what does he mean by that? Why a light? Have you ever been in the pitch black dark? Have you ever sat in the shadow of of darkness? I mean, just this past year, I went on a trip up to Tennessee and I went down into one of the caverns that they have there. And we went deep into the cavern. I don't know how long we walked. It felt like forever. And when we got deep into there, they had us all sit down and they turned off all the lights they had in there. And that was the darkest I had ever seen it. I couldn't even see my hand right here. It was that dark. Now imagine the relief when they flipped them back on again. (laughs) As people, we don't like to be in the darkness. And so when the Bible says that God comes to give us a light, it means that he comes to show us the way things really are. He comes to relieve us from the the fear and the confusion that results from us being in darkness. Also, it means that he's setting us free. Uh, Back in the passage uh, in Isaiah where it says, unto us a child is born, that great sort of Christmas prophecy. It says that God is going to send a light to those who are in prison to set them free. Back in in the days when the Bible was written, prisons were not very good places. They're not anymore now either, but they were especially not then. It was essentially throwing someone into a hole and covering it up, right, and leaving them there. And so when light came into the prison cell, what does that mean? That means the door has been opened. (laughs) That means someone's at the door and has opened the door. Perhaps it's someone to come and rescue me out and to release me. And this is saying that that is exactly what happens in Jesus He comes and he opens up the prison door. The light floods in. You and I are set free. You and I have guidance in our lives. He's with us all the time. We never have to worry about being alone. That's what Jesus brings because of, in verse 78, the tender mercy of God, you see. It's not owing to anything we've done. It's not owing to uh, any way that that we have impressed God. Now, the Bible says, in answer to the question, why does God love us? The answer is this, simply because he loves us. God loves you simply because he loves you. The tender mercy of God, like the sun rising in your life, comes to bring cleansing and it comes to bring a light so that your heart can be set free to serve him forever. Enemies reconciled, brought back together. And so really the question for us is not whether God will visit It's not if he visits. According to the the claims of Christianity, he has visited. The question is, what do we do with him now that he's visited? Are your life, is your life, is my life 
really changed and affected by Christ who was born, who died on the cross, who rose again to wash me and to give me a light? Do I live like someone who's been cleansed, who, who, who gets access to God, who comes to him and calls on his name? Do I live like someone who's never alone, who has been completely set free of anything that might try to, to keep me from pressing ahead to my heavenly father? Do we live that way or do we not? Do we live like people who have been visited by God? That's the question I think this Christmas. It's the question all the time. Let's pray and let's ask God right now to come and visit us, to give us a deep, deep sense of his cleansing power and of his enlightening power. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy today. Uh, We thank you so much for... Um, the way that you have visited so much better than any other visit we might get uh, during the holidays was when God himself became a baby so that he could live a full life. And then so, painfully for him, but gloriously for us so that he could die on the cross in our place. Lord Jesus, I pray for each person in here, uh, those that are doubting, those that aren't sure uh, what they believe, those that want to believe but feel like something's blocking them, and and for those who do believe and, and, and feel strong and confident in their faith, I pray that for each of us, the cleansing work of Jesus would be real, that we would know we have access to the table, we can sit with our Father, we can talk, we can bring our questions and bring our fears, and that, Lord, we would know the light that we would not sit as prisoners in darkness, confused and worried and afraid, but that our lives would be filled with joy, knowing that we have a purpose, to serve the one who loved us first. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. Uh, We pray these things in your name. Amen.